everybody, welcome to another episode of Leica Street Photography Collective. I'm Ricky, and today's guest is John Kreidler. So once again, thank you for taking the time out of your busy, busy day and giving the listeners something to listen to. So please introduce yourself, where you're at, where you've been, what you do, anything you'd like the world to know. Okay, great. Thanks. Thanks for being glad to be here today. Uh, my name is uh, John Kreidler. I am a product specialist and instructor for Leica Camera Inc. I live uh, outside of Philadelphia. And I've been in, I guess, the photographic business in one way or another uh, pretty much my, my entire career. Uh, so uh, what what I found interesting about this current role and what I do is that it's kind of the culmination of everything uh, that I've experienced in photography. So, um, that's, that's about it. Uh, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun working with a lot of great photographers, some of which you've interviewed, uh, like Phil Penman yeah. and that kind of thing. So, um, looking forward to the, to the conversation. Yeah, me too. Before we begin, I just want to preface this and say, this is not sponsored by Leica. This is not an official affiliation with them. I just kind of make Leica friends along the way, and it's really fun. I, yeah, it's, uh, I, I find Leica, you know, with all the brands, uh, Leica, we really develop a community, and we, we like to share experiences and uh, go out and shoot together uh, in in the street and have and have a good time. And a lot of times, when I'm out with some friends shooting, uh, particularly in New York, I'm always running into more friends. Yeah, and usually by the end of the day, there's twenty of us walking around uh, Manhattan, uh, just having a great time. So it is very much a, a brand that uh, really embraces the the community aspect of photography. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun to. Um, you know, to, to be a part of that. Yeah, I definitely agree. I've noticed the sense of community early on when I first started shooting with Leica. And I noticed, like, whenever I shot Sony or Fujifilm a long time ago, no one really came up to me and said, hey, is that a Sony? Hey, is that a Fujifilm? Can I take photos with you? It wasn't really a conversation starter. Kind of speaks to the community you're referring to. Yeah, definitely. I, it's, um, you know, p- part of, part of the, I think the mystique of, of the camera is that it, it looks the same basically since 1954 and uh, people always think, you know, it's a, it's an old fashioned camera yet it is by those that are into photography immediately recognizable as, as to, uh, as to what it is. So, um, I, I, I think, since they are, let's say, somewhat rare uh, when you're out shooting and in the city, you're not seeing everybody have one. It's when they do show up and you're using one, uh, people people <laughs> tend to, to notice they're in the now. So. They do. And I don't know why people go out of their way to mask and tape the red dot logo. Everybody knows what it is. And if you're using a Leica, it's because you intentionally have a Leica, and I'm not a fan of it. I just wish people just stopped doing it. We all know it's a Leica. 
I, I sometimes I think uh, people cover up the logo to bring more attention to the logo. It could be, yeah. <laughs> like what's behind you know, the um, <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, exactly. The mystery, the mystique. Um, yeah, I, I agree. It's uh, you know, it, I never. I mean, I shouldn't say never, but uh, rarely would I be in a position where I felt it was necessary to to shoot in an environment where I'd want to make sure that I was somewhat camouflaging my, you know, my camera. Uh, I, I think if I really felt that way, I probably wouldn't necessarily be there shooting. So. So you mentioned you were in the photographic business pretty much most of your, your career. What makes right. Leica so special? I don't know what other brands you may have worked for in the past, but what is the majestic feeling about Leica? Well, uh, basically, my, my career, uh, I started in college uh, working uh, in a camera store. Uh, and it was mainly just get a discount <laughs> on, uh, on film paper cameras. Uh, I was a filmmaking uh, major. Uh, so photography was, was always something I enjoyed, uh, even from an early age. Uh, I think my first camera I got was at the age of seven. Uh, it was a Diana F. And uh, so I started a medium format. So, you know, uh, to, to me, uh, that time with that camera early on, you know, kind of reflecting on it, uh, the things that, that I found interesting about using a camera was not just photographing people, mm-hmm. but uh, changing my point of view. Now, I didn't really understand uh, what I was doing, but I always found it interesting to get very close or shoot at an odd angle, the subject. And, um, you know, to, to me, it was just kind of that, you know, like a, a Gary Winogrand kind of thing, you know, looking back on it. And I, I just, I never understood like why I liked it, but I always liked it. I liked the images. Um, and I always liked uh, multiple exposure or using reflections. Mm-hmm. I still do today. Uh, you know, kind of like uh, maybe a little bit like we uh, freelander. Um it's just, to me, it's, you know, even at a young age, like I got something, something in me said, Hey, do, doing multiple exposures or shooting the same roll of film twice, you know, even though it was accidental, the images are pretty cool. Uh, and also, uh, this, the whole idea of the very first image, even if it was light struck and even the last image, even if it wasn't complete, were always, very interesting uh, to me. And uh, I just thought, I, my, I think my parents, when they're looking, looking at, uh, at the images, you know, because obviously they were putting the bill for processing, uh, they're wondering, what is going on here? Yeah. <laughs> Did somebody take the camera? Is somebody on purpose <laughs> totally messing up images? Uh, and to me, I, and, I, and then I kind of, you know, by the time I was uh, 12, I think I, I had the ability to like express, well, 
this is this is kind of what I find interesting. You know, two two events on one piece of film, and they kind of just uh, dismiss that. But I, I think kind of for me, a lot of this early uh, development was influenced by uh, the people that I was kind of hanging around with. So uh, they all shot Nikon, and Nikon was kind of my first entree into it uh, with an FE and a 50-millimeter E-series lens. But I guess really to get back to answer your question about what's Leica uh, and what makes it so special, to to me, uh, there's there's a couple things, particularly with an M camera. When I'm shooting that, I'm thinking differently. Uh, I'm looking uh, basically at the world unfiltered. I'm looking through a rangefinder. I'm not looking through that lens like I did with my my Nikon. It was more like kind of a Diana F experience, where seeing the world unfiltered, seeing beyond the frame lines, um, and to me. For whatever reason, and I've never been able to really, I guess, figure out why this is, but there's something about when you hold that camera, yeah. as you know, if you're an M shooter, right? When you hold that camera, it just, it just feels differently. Uh, it feels like a different kind of camera. It just feels, again, it's, it's hard to put into words. To me, part of that is, uh, the amount of, let's say, human involvement in actually manufacturing it. Uh, I've been fortunate enough a couple of times to be in the assembly room while they're putting M's together as it goes from station to station. Uh, and then the red dot gets put on and the mm-hmm. final white down. And then the little counter goes on the inventory goes to plus, you know, plus one kind of a thing. Uh, and it is, Somewhat magical, as corny as corny as all that sounds, but I think that's that's part of it. It's uh, that there's so much human <clears throat> human touch in uh, creating this camera, and it's uh, by it's so uh, I guess beloved by so many that it, uh, it you know it just holds that that special place for so many people. Um, and the fact that it looks uh, so non-intrusive, it looks, you know, it, you're not, you're not screaming to the world, Hey, I've got a camera. I'm going to take, take your picture. Um, and so that's definitely part of it. And I think the other part is just the lenses and how lenses render. Um, and it's just different. It just looks different. Uh, and because of the size and how it feels when you focus again, because of how much uh, human intervention there is, you know, it's not assembled by a robot. I mean, at every stage from raw material to finished products, it's pretty much all done by people. And I think that's a big part of why uh, when you hold it, you kind of feel uh, part of that. Anyway, that's that's how I feel about it. Do you shoot, Ricky? Do you shoot an M? Is that what you're... Yes, I am a M shooter. 
I am a M10 Mono user, and I just got a reporter. I'm not trying to plug that, but I did, and I don't know <laughs> why, but that camera just feels special in itself. I would say I used, I mean, the M10P was similar to the M10 Mono, but it's just a different mm-hmm. feeling. I think it's the the Kevlar that's just kind of like the feeling that you're talking about. Right. Yeah. But I do want to... I mean, it's... It, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it, it's just different, right? It's uh, different materials that are used mm-hmm. um, in, in manufacturing everything. Um, so... Yeah. So what I was going to say was, going back to what you said, looking through... The rangefinder, it's a different world. You're not looking through the lens. And it is 100% completely true. I don't like to use the Visoflex unless I'm doing like portrait shoots because those are something I'd want to get nailed on. But whenever I'm out in the street and I'm shooting, it's completely 100% rangefinder, optical viewfinder through the glass, zone focus. And the beauty on that is I have to control my creativity because like I got the frame lines and I, I got it composed how I want, but there's always something due to the parallax that you may not know that's in the frame. And you have to rely on my instincts. I know I have to be the most creative I can possibly be. And just that experience alone is something that I've never had with another camera. So that's just for me adding on to what you said about the magic of the M. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think the, the Visiflex is, is great, but like you, I, if I'm shooting an M camera, I want to shoot it um, as a rangefinder, And that's how I feel the most connected when, when shooting it. Um, the Visiflex, like I said, is is great, and it really will uh, help with focus and that kind of thing. But if if I want that type of experience, uh, I would maybe use an SL2 or SL2S, mm-hmm. uh, just because it's integrated. Um, but you know, it's uh, everyone. I mean, we make these cameras so that people can use them any way that they see fit. You know, that's going to, you know, we don't want to tell the artist how to use the paintbrush. (laughs) They bought the paintbrush. So, you know, you got the camera, use it, use it uh, to create images uh, and have it so that a camera basically is not an obstacle. It's, you know, it's something that's, that you use to create your vision your, your visual signature will be on those images. Uh, so use it, you know, how you see fit with whatever accessories, um, you know, you want to. So we're not much for rules. Like a lot of, a lot of photography, uh, Phil Penman always says this at every uh, workshop we've done together is that artists, when you're in art school, right, there are no rules. Uh, but photographers, when we go to school, there are always rules, rule of thirds, you know, a certain amount of depth of field, you know, don't crop, don't do this. Uh, so it's, um, 
that always is for some reason ringing in, in the back of my mind. Yeah. Uh, those, you know, those words. And, um, I think it's, it's something to, to remember that if we really want to be creative, while it's helpful to know the rules, it's also productive to, to break them mm-hmm. and to get beyond, um, where we need to be in, ter- in terms of a creative process. Yes. The creative process is so hard because I like to think now that people, and this is just my observation, they, they want other people's approval and they, they need it so much. And some of them are so, you know, I'm, what's the word? I'm, they're, they're pressured to create something. And I think that pressure kind of takes them out of their element and it kind of distracts them from being their most creative. No, I, I agree with that. I, I think, um, you know, you look at social media and you look at Instagram specifically, uh, and initially when people are on there, it's the race to get as many followers, as many likes. Um, and I think in recent years, one of the, the best things that has come out is the fact that you can now hide, you know, hide likes. Um, but there's always in life, right. There's always this need to be accepted and approval. And this is just like another way of doing that. And I think, uh, artists, you know, photographers in particular, you know, as, as they're developing the really good ones, know kind of where they want to go mm-hmm. or have an idea of where they want to go and their vision for their photography. They're developing a style and they want to, you know, go, go a certain way. And the really determined ones, they don't, it's not that they don't care what everybody thinks. It's they're listening to their own inner voice and, things that interest them to photograph. Uh, and I, I think, you know, some of the things that, um, that people do, uh, in terms of looking at other artists, uh, say Instagram feeds now, or even going back into books, uh, and trying to replicate, uh, what some photographers do to me, that that's, that's empty, right? It's kind of, they've already created their image. I like looking, um, you know, at, at books or looking at feed Instagram feeds to kind of get inspiration, uh, but not, uh, you know, to duplicate, simply duplicate what, what's already, what's already been done. Um, and you know, that it kind of all feeds into this, you know, acceptance and, and everybody needs to be accepted, certainly, and that we all like to be accepted. Uh, but as, a, as an artist, I think it's important to really follow uh, what you like and what you're experiencing and to use whatever uh, creative outlet that's necessary to, to display that. Uh, so it's... Um, I, I think it's it's always been challenging to be an artist, no matter, yes. you know, no matter whether it's now or 
you know, uh, a long, long time ago. Um, you know, it, it's always, you know, even, uh, you know, artists from the middle ages, you know, it, it doesn't seem like people are, people's works popular until you've been dead a while, which <laughs> yes. for personally, uh, you know, the acceptance thing by then is you're probably over it. Um, so I don't know. How do you, how do you feel about it, Ricky? How do you feel about, uh, like artists and the acceptance thing and Instagram chasing? And I think and social media kind of messed up the art world in, in general only because like you said, and I've said this before is that instant gratification, you know, people, they go through that phase where they got to do a photo a day kind of thing. And if they don't do it, they feel discouraged. They go through little, um, the likes. I think for me, I would say I noticed a change in my, my photography when I stopped caring about all of that and I started creating things that I liked. And then I started attending workshops with very, I would say reputable now, but I, I work with them because I like the work that they make, not because of how many followers they got. And the people that I've studied under, they've helped me to push my photography past what I could have done on my own. And I put all that together, the education piece, the not caring about the outside world and all of that. Like, I think we have to show, and getting to that point is the hard part, is creating the value of our work. Everything, people, whenever they, when you want them to purchase your work, you have to show them your value. Like, why is my photo worth $50,000? And this, this guy on across the street can take a similar photo. It won't be the same, but he's selling it for $50. I would rather pay $50 than the $50,000. But they don't understand the value behind it. And getting people to understand that part is the one that takes you many years after you die. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely um, an interesting an interesting time uh, for photography, and you know who knows what uh, the fate of mm-hmm. you know basically Instagram and and that is is going to be. Um, it certainly seems still to be the uh, platform to to show photography, even though I think it's less about photography. Uh, I mean. Uh, it's, it seems uh, that, uh, you know, this gravitation towards reels and, and stories and, and that kind of thing, um, which to me is such a, uh, a time drain. I don't know how you feel about it, but it's one thing to, to write to process an image and post it and you're kind of done and you're moving on. And now it's like uh, a reel. Mm-hmm. Come on. It's, it's at least, I mean, for me, um, it's, it seems to be a couple hours to put something together. Uh, so are you into reels at all or trying to post? I, I don't. And things I've, like that. I've created a few with the help of Phil Penman only to shameless plug. 
to promote our workshop that he'll be teaching and I'll be hosting in Tokyo later on this year. A couple spots left, so go ahead and sign up for them for the listeners. But other than that, like I don't, I don't get that stuff. I know that's the whole trend of social media now, and that's what they're trying to push. So they mask all your stuff unless you you create it. I just don't got time for it. And as I mentioned earlier, it took me a little while to get out of that social media grasp. Where, yeah, yeah, I think I got about 40 photos on my Instagram feed. But if I look in my, my photo library, I got over thousands. And I'm not showing wow. all of those photos. I'm only showing yeah. what I think is my best work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, just to like fill time in while we're on the subject. I, I mean, I, I probably have done... Uh, someday I'm going to, I guess, tally up the exact number, but let, let's say it's uh, 25, 28 workshops of film uh, that uh, some virtual, some in person. And what I would tell your listeners is if you're looking to really learn street photography, there, there's, uh, my opinion, no better instructor. Uh, spends, he spends time diligently with every every student and his work ethic is, I think, insane. I, I think he works 20 out of 24 hours a day. Yes. Uh, I've heard him compared to, you know, James Brown, the hardest working man in photography, Phil Penman, uh, just what, what he does, what he produces, how he works, how he's constantly, constantly, uh, working. It's, uh, it's uh, it's admirable, uh, and I feel fortunate to know him and to have worked with him um, quite a bit, quite a bit. And uh, you know, it's uh, it's something we we have. Uh, I think a workshop, depending on when this is aired, it'll probably be after that um, at the end of April uh, with Phil. It'll be I think I think the eighth workshop we've done in New York, and uh, each time it's fresh. It's different because you're seeing it with different, with different students. Um, but also, you know, the lighting is different, even though it's the same time of year, things, things change. So, uh, it's, uh, it's really rewarding. We had, uh, I want to say it was last April's class where the students had work admitted to LFI from that workshop. So just saying, just saying it's extremely, extremely impressive. Um, and Phil doesn't leave anything on the table. So. Is your part of your work connected with the LFI publications? Uh, no, okay. not at all. Okay. So then no, that's LFI is actually, yeah, no, I think they're, act, they're actually uh, somewhat separated from even like a corporate. Okay. Uh, because they're, they're a publisher. Um, but, uh, it's, uh, it's nice to see when I get that issue, mm-hmm. you know, some, some photographers that I've worked with or even the online, online issue, um, seeing students or uh, professionals that I've worked with over the years, get their work put in. It's, uh, very rewarding to see that. Yeah. I, I, don't want to feel, I'm just going to say, there is, it's very, 
trying to think of the word. Sometimes the work that they pick kind of seems like they're just selecting it for marketing purposes. Now, I'm not saying that people's photography work is bad in any way, but I've seen some people submit some really great images. I stopped submitting because they never picked any of mine and it wasn't about the recognition. It's just, why am I going to submit if I'm not getting picked kind of deal? And, but I've seen some of my friends that post theirs and while they do get the, the selective for the galleries, there's like other shots that I've seen that are like a master shots. And I understand photography Mm -hmm. is completely subjective to the viewer and how they sell it. But I like to think with all of the photography experience I have, a lot of it is a little skeptical, like, okay, uh, I I want to see. I would like to understand their selection process. Boiling it down, right. I would like yeah. to know their selection process. Yeah, I mean, I, I it was interesting. I was I was talking with um, someone recently at, at an event, and she had not the exact same comment, but a similar comment when looking at uh, basically anything that you submit to a publication or a contest um, is that if you look at what they've selected, right, it, it all kind of looks very similar as a similar look. So if you wanted to be in that publication or be selected to win that contest, it seems that's the type of work that you have to produce. And if your own, visual art and visual signature doesn't necessarily dovetail with that. Um, you're not going to get picked, selected or selected. So, and that got me to thinking about this kind of ongoing, uh, you know, trend where if everybody does what, what publications or contest panels want, where do we go? Mm-hmm. It's just keeps being this, this, we're spinning our wheels. It just keeps being the same, the same thing over and over again. And it's, it's tough. And I, I get what you're saying. And I, I think there needs to be, um, an evolution in, in photography. So we're seeing things differently. Uh, I mean, we, we didn't just stop, you know, at Oscar Barnack's shot of, uh, of the Eisenhart, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in the early twenties, you know, we, we've, we've gone beyond that. Uh, and photography and technology as it moves forward, uh, we need to start to maybe to see a little differently. Although at the core to me, it's always about light and shadow or about, uh, capturing the beauty of a moment. You know, not necessarily photographing, say, a child, but childhood, and um, in, in, in that kind of thing. When uh, when you're doing your photography, so some of those things, some of those concepts, some of those ideas, while they may not be, uh, say, today publishable today, where will they be? You know, thirty, fifty years from now, and I think. The great photographers, while they only show maybe the work that 
might be accepted today. They're always looking for opportunities to document what is today. Uh, you know, I think a little bit about Vivian Meyer and her work, and, and what would have happened if she published a book when those images were created versus a few years ago. Yeah, you know, when someone found the film and had the story uh, around it, the mystique of of it. Um, you just wonder, uh, and I know a lot of photographers are always, you know, they have long-term projects where they're capturing things that they feel won't be around, um, you know, in 10 years, 20 years. And because I think maybe, I mean, it, it'll be of interest in 50 years, you know, if, if we're still looking at things called photographs, yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, how, how do you feel about that, Ricky, in, in terms of the evolution of art in, in photography? Oh, how should... You got me first. All right. How should we look at things? All right. Well, <laughs> well I think you, you may, and I'm pretty sure it was the same conversation I had with Nathan. So you probably listened to that uh, conversation I recorded before we started recording this one. But I called it the Vivian Meyer effect was like, do we respect the photographer's wishes? And not publish her work because we don't know if she wanted to publish right. or if she just couldn't. Different times, different generations, whatnot or whatnot. But uh, right. yeah, I mean, for her, I, I I spoke on that, but I'll just say again, like it really. I think that yeah. part comes down to what whatever she intended to have with her photography. And I was at a bookstore, and I actually finally got to see her book, and it's just really good work. And if she did not want that published, I feel real bad that that work was just, you know, private and intended for her, mm. her eyes only. I do appreciate right. whoever did that to give the world her amazing photographs. So, but, you know, everything now, everything's changing now. Everything's, you know, you got to respect the, this, this, and the whatever. But to answer your question about the evolution of photography, I was going to ask you that, but but you got me. So let's see. I think it's going to take like two steps forward and then, or was it? Yeah. Two steps forward and then one step back. Photography is, I believe, going to catch up with itself. And what I mean by that is people are going to start realizing that they don't have to start chasing those, the trends that are going out there and that they can be creative on their own and that they have the possibility to create their own style and, and work as hard as Phil Pemmon. I I speak to him a lot behind closed doors and in Instagram conversations. And he is you. You're right. He's always working, and he's putting in the work. And I don't think a lot of people realize that that's the work you got to do to be recognized. Like you can't take one photo and then expect to be Henry Cartier Bresson. It's just not going to work. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Uh, and it's it's interesting you bring up Phil again. Uh, but I, what I agree with you on is that, and again, I see it during workshops a lot of times, is it's it's not that uh, the attendees are going to come out and say, hey, take me, take me to the spot. You know, we're at two bridges. I want to create an iconic Phil Pemmon-esque shot. Show me where to stand. What's my exposure? Where do I point the camera? 
Um, they're not going to come right out and say that, but uh, in some ways, uh, you know, from time to time you feel that it could be expected, mm-hmm. um, you know, and what, what we try to do in teaching workshops, no matter who the instructor is, is basically uh, we're trying to teach photographers how to create images, how to see the light. Uh, so basically everything that goes into the process and then allowing them to make it their own because that is the art of photography is to see something in your mind and then get it into the camera uh, and create that image. And to do that, it takes a lot of time and a lot of practice and a lot of uh, failure. And one thing, another point that Phil always brings out is you're, you're going to make mistakes. The important thing is to remember those mistakes and not keep making yes. <laughs> those mistakes, which um, can be extremely, extremely difficult when you're looking at a scene and you're trying to create an image and you know in your mind's eye you're seeing something and you just you can't get it into the camera. Um, and I think that's, that's part of what I enjoy about photography is the fact that, uh, you know, there, there's going to be failures, but once you get that image that you see, and then you start to be able to, to do that a little more consistently, it's extremely rewarding, um, to do that. So, um, again, it's, it's challenging, um, and it's it's certainly not not for everybody, um, but it's uh, I think it's what makes it great. It's an art form you can do pretty much your your entire entire life. So, um, I think that's that's what's a, a worthy pursuit. Yeah. So now I'm going to pose the same question: Is what do you think is okay. next for photography? You asked me where it's going to evolve into, but what do you think is the next? I don't want to say trend, but what is next for photography in general? Well, I I think that's a great question. And to me, uh, to be honest, I I have no idea. I mean, in in some, in some regard for me, uh, what I think is, is so uh, interesting uh, is this whole uh, resurgence of film Mm -hmm. and film and, and processing. And, alternative processing and how people are using uh, methods with uh, that were used, say, to create images like Ansel Adams uh, was creating images, you know, in the 40s in a very similar manner, uh, although the, the chemistry is a little harder to come by and but still is toxic. Um, and, and to me, I, I can see kind of this idea of um, of photography kind of being reborn back into film, mm-hmm. which is which is happening. Film, I don't think in our lifetime would eclipse digital unless there was something uh, incredible, like the world hits the reset button or something. Uh, but then we've got other problems, but I, I, I think 
uh, as a trend, it's uh, traditional methods and understanding, um, you know, things like four by five and eight by 10 film and the processing, uh, in a dark room and really enjoying the, the complete, uh, creation of art. So not just, you know, and with digital, you, you can do a lot of that, right? You can, you can take an image, you can bring it into, uh, Lightroom, the modern dark room, uh, manipulate it and then print it on a great uh, inkjet printer or send it out to many, uh, one of many great labs to have it processed. But for you as an artist to control uh, the entire process, um, to me, I, I think is, has always been a big, a big deal. Uh, but in terms of where like digital photography uh, is going, um, you know, I, I think uh, platforms like Instagram would like it all go to, to video or, uh, you know, moving, moving images. And I think the more that that happens, right, the more there'll be more interest in still images and still, uh, still, uh, you know, printing traditional printing methods, um, silver highlight products and that, and that kind of thing. There's difficult to get. And some of that, I think, um, popularity is because of the rarity of it and how challenging, you know, it's another, it's another challenge. Uh, and plus we're looking at a, a generation that essentially may have never been captured on film and the whole idea of not seeing something instantly, mm-hmm. Uh, is appealing. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, everything is in a cycle and everything kind of comes, comes around. Um, I, I mean, when I've seen it, uh, some, some use camera, uh, stores, which, uh, I frequent all too often is the fact that, uh, there's the resurgence of digital cameras, in terms of popularity that are like sub megapixel. (laughs) The older ones. And, uh, you know, yeah, they're really, right. I don't like it, like a Casio A10 or, uh, you know, 644-80 or even like, uh, you know, Olympus had some really nice, um, cameras that were like, uh, HT, like 1920, 1080, uh, resolution. So around the two, two megapixel, but, um, it's just interesting to see that. And I, I think like in photography, uh, when we're looking at an image, uh, the emotional part of the image is in the out of focus areas. And if the whole thing is out of focus, the whole thing is emotional. Uh, as some of us would say, but I, I think part of it is when photog- uh, photography when you look at it as an art form, uh, I'm not saying that sharpness is bad or sharpness is good. I'm saying that when there's a lack of detail, it allows the viewer to imagine more and perhaps gaze into it and apply their own interpretation of that work. Mm-hmm. Where if everything is sharp, there's no mystery to it. Uh, the story is defined. And while that's great for the six o'clock news, 
it's not necessarily great for art unless that is your your vision. Um, I mean, that's why I like some of the lenses that I like is because of how they render to and from where I'm focusing. And that's, to me, uh, as big, if not a bigger part of the image than what's in focus. Because that is really part of the story that we're trying to, uh, that I'm trying to communicate uh, with photography. Definitely. So there is a resurgence of film, and I think film is going to be the death of film only because of the cost. And I've noticed, and you may have noticed too, and a lot of the listeners, if you're in the Facebook market groups for the Leica, the Leica Classifieds, it's starting to become well known that people are not liking the cost of film and the development and all of that. I will say the last batch that I've had developed here in Japan I think it was 56 rolls of film. This is recently. I paid close to $600 just for developing. Wow. Yeah. Now, yeah. multiply that a few times, yeah. I could buy me another Leica. And my <laughs> because of that, my film shooting has slowed down a lot. I still love the experience of shooting on film, but now it is not my primary source of photography now. Now, people might say, you know, I'm not... a I'm selling out film. Maybe I, like I said, I still shoot it, but that cost, I got other expenses in my life that I got to take care of too. So I got to balance it. So unfortunately, uh, those people are buying film cameras, the MPs that you can't go to a store and find for like six years. And like, Oh, I'm, I'm getting out of film. It's too expensive. And people are trading them for the digitals or whatever and whatnot. Film's going to be the death of film. I don't think it'll be gone forever, but I think it's going to kind of come back full circle. History repeats itself. Yeah. Right. Definitely. Definitely. I, you know, it's, um, when, when I talk, uh, to, to photographers about film, uh, part of what I did, um, in the late nineties was to sell film, to newspapers and we would get pallets upon pallets of triax and plus X and we would sell like a roll of triax for a dollar 50 a roll, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, which is, is just insane. You know, and, and newspapers would be buying five to a thousand rolls at a time because they had staff and they staff just would shoot, you know, a brick a day was, you know, 20 rolls was like not unheard of covering different, different stories and different events. So yeah, the, the, I, I get what you're saying. Uh, but to me shooting film, it's about slowing down. Mm-hmm. It's about being deliberate. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember, uh, which photographer it was. Um, I don't know if it was Dick Alvedon, uh, uh, or, um, anyway, I, I don't remember who it was, but I, I remember, uh, running into an, an assistant for someone that, that works for a high profile, let's say the high profile photographer, um, in the sixties. And it was not uncommon. They would have a black shooter. They would have a roll at 12 and they might shoot three jobs 
on one roll of 12. So think, think of that. Uh, you know, so here, someone that was high profile could make, you know, could, could have shot 10 rolls on each project. Basically they knew they got the shot and they moved on and, and they go to the next job, get the shot, move on. Uh, incredible. I mean, (laughs) I don't know if it was Douglas Kirkland or, or somebody, I, a commercial photographer, I forget who it was. But uh, to me, when, when I heard that story, I was like, wow. I mean, that, that totally, totally blew me away that someone would, you know, not think of it as a risk, but just like a normal way of doing business. I think that kind of ties into what I was saying. People, you, you have to be confident in your creative ability. If you can shoot three jobs, on one roll of film, that's amazing in itself. And being deliberate and slowing down is something that I have learned from shooting on film. And I, I appreciated that so much because when I first got into film, it was a little cheaper. So I was just going through film. Like, you know, I could shoot a a roll of 36 in three minutes if I wanted to. And I did that just having fun because it was new. But then when you realize like, Oh, that's not the, intention of it later on then you know being aware of your capabilities and you know okay i don't need to do that on this let me let me make this one roll of 36 or 12 shots on medium format whatever it is you're shooting let me make this last as long as i can make it last yeah no it's it's definitely um challenging uh, and you need to be, I think, deliberate. And I think that's, that is a benefit of the cost. Um, and I think digital, it's, you know, selling digital cameras in their early days was, you know, people saying, well, you know, it's on a memory card, so you're not going to buy film anymore. You're not, mm-hmm. you're not, you know, you don't have to pay to get it developed. You can see it right away. And, you know, that was the, the beginning and death of, uh, the, the mini lab and processing business, which was the lifeblood of, uh, and still is today for a lot of, uh, camera chains is film developing. And it was, I, I always found this interesting that it was Kodak that developed, uh, digital. And it was probably one of the leading causes of, uh, of Kodak's demise from greatness was digital ccd sensor digital photography yeah it it was uh always it was it's just interesting that irony yeah kind of like g right definitely like uh gm developing uh hydrogen automobiles or something i mean i maybe not quite or i guess it would be like gulf oil (laughs) developing a hydrogen uh, automobile yeah crazy So we've had a lot of discussion about photography in general, but I found you because you are a photographer yourself. So let's talk about your photography. This is a photography podcast after all. So we got that okay, you, sure, you began sure. with the, the Diana F. What kind of photos were you making when you first began? You may have mentioned it, but now I just kind of want to get that process of when you first started to where you're at now and what kind of photos do you like making? 
<laughs> so um, early on uh, with the Diana app, uh, a lot of what I was doing was uh, taking pictures of uh, friends, uh, people, you know, it might be, you know, at a little league game or, or that, but then to find a way to, uh, you know, make, make the images. I, I don't know. I always seem to be, uh, obsessed with this layering thing, whether I was shooting through a cyclone fence, uh, or, uh, or whatever, and not really understanding why I felt those images were more interesting. Um, but because they, uh, you know, because they had texture, they had dimension. So even today, uh, a lot of what I, I like photographing, um, really, uh, automobiles. Uh, so, um, that's, that's one thing that, that I enjoy. And then within that, uh, you know, different car shows and different events and kind of going through that that process of storytelling about an event. Um, I enjoy that quite a bit. I enjoy probably what I have the most <laughs> images of, which, which uh, I was kind of shocked when I was analyzing uh, my Lightroom catalog um, really during COVID uh, and seeing what I was really photographing. A lot of what I photographed was, at uh, at like Longwood Gardens outside of Philadelphia, and I, I have all kinds of images of flowers and ferns and landscapes and and that kind of thing. And you know, I got to think about it, and what I realized was that um, that I probably did that because it was one of the places I could take my wife, where she would almost tolerate me mm-hmm. uh, with a camera. Uh, anywhere else, um, you know, on vacation or whatever, it's, it's, I'm pretty much absent <laughs> because i you know, I see the light and I'll be captivated and I'll be there photographing, um, particularly light and shadow, which is another, probably a third thing that I, I really enjoy, uh, looking at and seeing, uh, kind of the detail, but, um, to me, I, I think what I really enjoy doing, there's a couple of, um, uh, I guess, different different venues that I enjoy uh, photographing uh, here in, in Philadelphia for cars. Uh, one of the great places that I like to go is uh, Simeon Art um, Race Car Museum, uh, which is um, kind of near the airport, and it's, just an incredible place to see uh, vintage uh, racing cars. So stuff from the thirties up until I want to say the most modern cars, probably uh, 1973. I want to say it's the, it's the hippie Porsche 917. Um, and what's cool is I want to say it's the first Saturday of, the month they'll have a demo day. So I take four of these cars out and run them around the parking lot. Uh, and then I'll allow you to photograph them. They'll open hoods and, you know, so, you know, there's a whole process of not just getting for me, not just getting that calendar mm. image uh, or the poster image, right? It's, that's certainly one shot, but it's also uh, getting the cars in motion. It's 
how to photograph um, the owners and the cars and telling their story while they're talking to others. Uh, and it's also then close up and detail shots. So one of um, my long-term projects is like hood ornaments and steering wheels. Okay. Uh, so, um, <laughs> you know, it's, to me, it's just, it's just kind of, it, it's just interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of the classic cars, uh, and I, what, what I would say is, um, while my work does not look like his, uh, someone that I appreciate his work is Michael Furman and his work is extraordinary. Um, uh, and he does a lot of work for the museum in terms of photographing their collection, but, uh, he has several books out, uh, but his, his whole process. And I've, I've known a few people that have worked with him, uh, or for, and for him. And it's, uh, you know, to, to hear just a little bit about his process. I know I would never have the patience to create these incredible rich <laughs> images that, you know, that he does. Um, so, but it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a lot of fun. It's, you know, everyone wants, you have to challenge yourself. Um, and while street, uh, I, to be honest, I, I would say street is probably number two behind automotive. For me, um, just going out and seeing light and capturing, you know, light and shadow, uh, which is something that I do a lot on uh, photo walks with people. I like to give them an assignment. You know, I, uh, as Ralph Gibson would say, uh, a point of departure, something that gets them thinking. Um, so depending on how the light is, whether we're going to use light and shadow or, or if it's overcast, a lot of times reflections can be a lot, uh, can be more interesting or utilize motion, uh, within a shot, either to freeze it or to show blur, um, and not to be afraid of out of focus and oddly composed images, but to embrace them as part of what you're seeing and what you're experiencing. So, um, it's, uh, it's definitely, for me, photography is, while it's, uh, it's part of my job, it's something that uh, allows me a creative outlet and to, uh, to relax a little bit, uh, particularly with an M camera. It just, it's, it, to me, it's so freeing to shoot with a rangefinder and just go out and uh, not really worry about it. Uh, a lot of times a mirrorless, uh, I just feel like it just has to be, everything has to be perfect because I have so much at my disposal to make it perfect that it's a misuse not to make everything perfect. And that can be uh, stressful. <laughs> so I, I enjoy shooting the M as a rangefinder, definitely. Shoot it has. How about you? What, what do you like to shoot beyond the street, Ricky? That's it. I am so heavily invested yeah. in street photography, photojournalist style photography that I only do portraits for paid assignments unless I have friends that I just want to take their photos. If I'm not shooting mm -hmm. portraits or paid shoots, then it's 100% street. That kind of sounds redundant. I would say 99.9% .9 street photography. 
and then the rest is just of friends or paid work. And I don't I don't do enough of it to to say that I but I have the skills to do all that other stuff. I just choose not to. Yeah. It's what you connect with, I think is a subject and what you enjoy. Exactly. Um it's not that you can't do photograph anything because you, you you know knowing the basics uh, mm-hmm. applying skills and knowing how to work with people um but it's it's really what you what you choose what you choose to do and creating the moments and creating the moments that you see and um i think too it's not everybody sees everything the same and not everybody sees everything so if your if your eye is tuned to the street and that's what you mostly shoot, that's that's awesome that you found that. Uh, a lot of people want to shoot street and they try but they don't see it, and it that that can be you know very frustrating. Uh, but you know, there, there's other there's other things to photograph. Yes, you know if you if you don't necessarily connect with the street. I think those are the people that don't practice enough and I'm going to use Phil Penman here as the example is like they take one shot and they're like, why am I not Phil Penman yet? You got to keep practicing. Like he didn't yeah. become Phil Penman in a day. Yeah. If you actually listen to his story, he's been, yeah. he's been a photographer for a long, long time. Definitely. Yeah. He's, he's definitely, definitely, um, put, put the work in, mm-hmm. um, and into it. And I think a lot of, uh, a lot of photographers who are teaching workshops, they, they put a ton of work into their photography and are, the ones that we work with in particular really like to share, uh, um, that information and help photographers kind of expedite that, uh, learning curve. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you still have to, put the work in. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think, uh, like, uh, like Joel Meyerwitz, uh, always had a camera on him, you know, even as he's, when he was starting his career, uh, I think as, as an assistant or in a, in a marketing group, just walking around with his camera. And while he was taking work from one office to another, he'd have his camera out and shooting. Uh, I do that. So, you know, everyone, <laughs> you, you can't, you can't buy that kind of experience. You have to, uh, kind of exist within the humanity that you're trying to capture. Yeah, you know? exactly. Somehow I became known as the official cameraman at work. Cause just like you mentioned it with Joel, I'll, I'll take my camera to work and if I use it, I, I get some, some shots. If I don't, I, at least I have it and it's there and, I, I have yeah. it available and I can use it before work, after work, during work. Well, during certain periods of work, not while I'm actually working, working, but yeah. So we got a lot of, a lot of good stuff, but I would like for the listeners to be able to see your photography work or your social media accounts. So if you don't mind advertising, plugging your social media accounts, websites, anything, anything you own that you like the world to be able to. Right. So, yeah, sure. Sure. So, um, uh, my handle on Instagram is at like a pro image and really that's, that's it. Okay. 
yeah, I've seen other plays. I'm really showing, showing work. So uh-huh. you can you check out that. And it's unfortunately the recent work is mostly reels. <laughs> so, <laughs> that marketing, is- which is, I was just looking, I was just looking at that, uh, yesterday. I was like, Oh, this is disappointing. I am disappointing myself. Uh, that everything that's there is pretty much reels. Um, so I'll have to, I'll have to work on that. You got to dig deep. And as I mentioned yeah. to you before I started recording, I didn't know you were doing the like, videos on YouTube. I, I saw your work. So how I find people is typically through Instagram and I'll look for, I, I initially start off with street photographers who use Leica system. So I'll search for like a Leica hashtag or whatever it is. Right. And I found your account and I was looking, I saw a lot of official people and I kind of figured you work for Leica, but then I saw your photography and then I was like, okay, he's a photographer. So that's why I initially reached out to you. Yeah. And then one day I was watching YouTube and I was like, oh, that's him. So there we go. We got that out of the way. <laughs> yeah. No coincidence. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it, it's funny. Um, I just, it's something that, uh, I think I had to be convinced mm-hmm. a little bit to, to do, uh, like the conversation and, uh, like a tech talk. Um, and it's, it's something that, uh, that I enjoy doing as long as there's, there's a message to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't want to, you know, and we, we had talked about it, uh, I guess corporately to, you know, what's the cadence of, you know, having these things and, you know, um, and it kind of, it came out of, uh, for us, like many companies out of COVID, uh, to do virtual programming and, uh, and these conversations and, uh, you know, I've done a, a fair number of them and it, it is as, as long as I, like I said, if there's a story to tell, it's very enjoyable. It's when it's, you're not feeling it. Uh, and you can probably relate to this a little bit, Ricky is if you're not feeling it, it just makes that time, whether it's in development mm-hmm. until you find that line, it just makes it a challenge. Um, but, uh, it is something I, I enjoy, particularly when I can, uh, interview and uh, talk with heroes, but also, uh, and heroes that, at the, uh, what I call the mothership and investor, the main office, um, that that's a lot of fun and bring their story, uh, you know, kind of more to light. So it's, uh, for me, that's an exciting part of that and those programs. Nice. So I'm just going to throw this out there. If you ever need a guest, I'll make myself available. I'll get myself some. Okay. No, but I I don't mind. Uh, I someone I've been getting contacted a lot more now to be another people's podcast, so that's fun. I I enjoy it. But yeah, people, that's cool. I think people should know that I'm actually a photographer first, and I started the podcast because I love photography. And I'm not actually a podcaster turned photographer. I'm a photographer who makes podcasts. That's cool. That's. Uh... I, I think that all these conversations, again, it's a, it's a part of the community. Yeah. 
uh, you know, it's a way to share uh, people's story and to share the community. And I, I think there are a lot of work, uh, but I, I think it's very rewarding to, to hear about other people's experiences and how they got into photography and, you know, what they enjoy photographing and kind of the equipment uh, that they use and why they use what they use kind of a thing. Exactly. Yeah. And I've been doing this for a little over a year, like I mentioned, and I can tell you this out of experience, none of the stories are the same. Everybody's different. Right. Yeah. Maybe a similarity yeah. in the camera they use, but other than that, like why, who, how, everything's always different. So a couple more questions and we'll be wrapping this up. I got to work early in the morning. So I would like for you to highlight, recognize, recommend any photographer you feel is not getting the recognition they deserve. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, well, let me, let me think here a second. Um, I mean, to me, uh, I, I would say let's hmm. let me go with three three people. Okay. Uh, there's a uh, young photographer in New York, uh, Vincent Caruso, who um, I really like his work. He is uh, like a street photographer. Uh, he's he's young. I think. I'm not sure exactly how young, but uh, we we did a photo book a couple times, and really liked his the images that he shared from that from that experience. So uh, he's definitely someone uh, I think people should should check out and watch his work. Uh, another artist uh, that we uh, had just. Uh, I think a few months ago uh, at the LA gallery, Terry LaRue. Uh, he did a show called uh, frames between the pain and his work is uh, it's not street photography uh, necessarily. Uh, Terry was a skateboarder, had an injury. Now he has this chronic issue uh, and he uses photography as his therapy. Uh, so he does all kinds of printing uh, methods and creating his art and um, his Instagram following isn't, <laughs> is kind of low. And that's why I think his, his work in terms of an artist, um, I think people really should, should check out and, uh, you know, read up on his, on his story. It's um, to me, uh, I think for a lot of photographers, uh, photography is part of an escape uh, but to kind of use it in a therapeutic way to get beyond um, like pain and suffering mm-hmm. uh, is admirable. And uh, the stuff, the images that he has created are incredible. Um, and then the third person uh, is someone that um, I'm looking forward to working with uh, this, this year uh, at Academy uh, is Kara uh, Crawwell. And, uh, she does a lot of, uh, mountain landscapes. She's climbed the Himalayas, 
done a lot of really great photography uh, in light works productions is her production company. Um, and I'm really looking forward to working with her working on a landscape workshop that'll hopefully, hopefully happen. And, and I'm hopeful to work with her also this summer in Santa Fe, Santa Fe workshops supporting her. Um, and, um, again, black and white photography, black and white landscape, um, photography. And, uh, we have a few of, uh, her images, I guess three of her images up at the corporate office in, uh, Teaneck, New Jersey. And they're just stunning, stunning images. So they would be, uh, they would be three photographers that I think people should pay attention to. Okay. And I will definitely include those names and I'll search for their Instagram handles and I'll include it in the show notes as I always do. So thank you for that. And then the last question I always like to to end on, I know we didn't get much into it, but it's part of the show. So I got to ask it, but what does street photography mean to you? Well, uh, what I would say street photography to, uh, to me, is is it uh, you, when, when I, I guess? Let me back up. When when I think of street photography, what I'm trying to do is to uh, document a moment in humanity. Uh, so it's not that I'm wanting to photograph that specific person, but kind of tell the story of what I think that person might be about or that place might be about. So uh, I alluded to it a little bit and this is really, it's not my thinking. I want to say it's uh, Craig Seneca's thinking is when you're photographing in the street, you know, don't photograph a child, photograph childhood, don't photograph a mother, photograph motherhood, you know, when you're photographing, you know, don't photograph that, that young lady because she is beautiful, but what she represents, um, in a style that she represents, her lifestyle that she represents. So, um, it's thinking beyond kind of the, the actual visual, uh, and it's, it's definitely an, an art form of storytelling people that can do it, that do it well. It's amazing. Uh, but I know even myself, a lot of what I shoot when I get home and look at it, I'm like, why, why did, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I, I think it's definitely one of the most, um, challenging, at least for me personally, one of the challenge, most challenging types of photography. Uh, to do because there, there are lots of moving parts. Uh, there's lots of things to consider, um, you know, not just technically, but emotionally and kind of that story and you want, you know, and how that story gets represented. Nice. Answers are always different. So I do appreciate it. I, I do like the answer. I like the Craig Semenko part. I reached out to him. I haven't got our response, yeah. but that's neither here nor there. I do appreciate it. 
And as I mentioned, that is always the last question I ask. But now I like to give you the opportunity to ask me any question, and I'll answer the best I can. All right, sure. So, um, my question for you, Ricky, is uh, if you could interview anyone, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Joe Meyerowitz, and I'm still trying to get him. I I <laughs> really connected to him when I first learned what street photography properly was. When I when I was a photographer, I say photographer because I I don't I wasn't really defined. My role wasn't there. I just had a camera and I took pictures. I w- I didn't know who or what a street photography was. I didn't know of the greats. I didn't know of photo books. I didn't know any of that. And then when I learned about it, the one person that really kind of just resonated with me, and even to this day, I'm just always inspired by it. Just even listening to him talk is Joel Meyerowitz. And he actually mm-hmm. made one of, yeah. I think, is probably the most important book ever created. And I'll share it with you. You'll probably laugh when you see it because it's not what you think it is. I'm not sure if you've seen this one. I oh, got that. There it is. Right. So Joel Meyerowitz. Seeing things. Seeing things. Yeah. It's a kid's guide to looking at photographs. Now, why I say that this yeah. is important is because when I took my photojournalist course with NYIP, the very first lesson they gave me was something they mentioned was look at the world with children's eyes. And I didn't get it mm-hmm. at first, but then when you when I kept reading and they explained it was when you're a child, you try to absorb all the information around you. And as you grow, your brain subconsciously automatically blocks the useless things in your life. So you know what to ignore and what not to ignore. Like if you see a, a, a piece of or a banana peel on the street while you're walking, as an adult, you're just going to keep walking past it. But as a child, you're going to be so intrigued by it, you're going to go try to pick it up and see what it is. So how they explain it, like seeing the world as a child and then reading this book, and even looking at the photos that he used as references, like there was so many details in there, like you would never notice that was there. And it really helped me learn about the details of looking through that viewfinder, seeing not just the world, but seeing the photograph before I make it. Yeah. No, it's, it's important. Um, definitely. And I think the the other thing that that we really didn't talk about, but that also comes into play with that is point of view. Um, you know, if depending on how you're holding the camera, if you shoot down on the subject or you shoot up on the subject, it all has uh, a different uh, intention and a different message. But if you think of it, as a child, if you're photographing like a child, everything is either you're going to be looking up, admiring mm-hmm. the subject, or uh, a lot of it's straight, straight on, very little you'd be looking down upon. So to me, um, a perspective I like to shoot uh, a lot of things at, and I think it would come into play with this, 
is what I call wounded knee. So like if, if somebody kicked you in the knee, how, you, how would, how would you stand? Um, fall over to and, uh, <laughs> everything's a little crooked. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think there, there is something to that. Um, but the childlike wonder, uh, I, I think Mark DePaula, when he's talking about how, how we see, um, is that basically, I think we only see 20% of what's, what's there and the rest of it, we're remembering what's there kind of a thing. And it's, and that comes into play too, as a child, because you're creating this memory bank of things that is a banana peel, that is a sidewalk, that is a blade of grass. Um, to be later used in life and to have that wonder, the wonder of a child and that imagination um, is certainly a great uh, starting point for street photography. Definitely. Uh, any other questions? Where do you find inspiration? My, my friends and all the guests that I speak to. That seems pretty safe. Yeah. No, it, it is true because <laughs> for me, like, I'm over in in Japan and while there is mm-hmm. a lot of photographers out here and Japanese photography is in a class of its own. I'm, I've, I've been around the world and there's just something so different about Japanese photography and... Mm-hmm. Even even seeing that is so inspiring, but I don't really do the social media stuff. I use it for contacting, you know, potential guests, making new friends, connections, building the community. But I stay away from that kind of outlet for inspiration. I love getting photo books, but I can only buy so much. I just bought a few some some more this weekend, or not this weekend. Yeah, it is the weekend. I'm, my days are all confused over here, but I just bought a couple of new books and I buy them and I can't even finish going through them, which is kind of bad, but I like collecting them and the work in there is really good. That's inspiring as well. Photo books, the guests. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say a little bit of social media. There's a few times where I've seen like, oh, this is a really nice photo, but not as much as in the past. Yeah, those that's where I get my inspiration. Gotcha. With with photo books, do you find yourself buying uh, similar books? Not just subject, but how they uh, how they're told or how they're created. Um, the reason I ask is the books that I like uh, that I find myself looking through are ones that tell more of the story of how images were created uh, or the, um, the experience of the creation. Um, so that, that's what, and I think in life, that's how I am. I like to know how things work yes. before I use them. Um, but I wondered if, if there's, when you're looking at books, what, if there was a certain type that you, feel you gravitate to 
Ooh. I think when I first started purchasing photo books, it was more of the big names. So I had to have a Joe Meyerowitz. I had to have the Henry Cartier-Bresson. And I got those. I got all of those out of the way. But then I started seeing other people like, oh, this is a really good photo book. And then it just kind of helped me evolve my thinking and just realize like photo books are, are just, it's like going to the library. There's so much information there. And it's all at your disposal and you have the access to it. Why not, you know, why not use it? So I started branching away from right. the big names and, you know, I would find someone whose work I really appreciated and I wanted to see more. And I think the more part is how I can relate to how I make photos. Like I don't always put all of my photos on social media like i said so i think the work that they use for their publications are a lot more intentional to what they want to create as opposed to what they want to show to the easy access world and mm. it's in the actual physical copy publications that you have no choice but to see it through these books Anything else? No. That was that was it. All right, perfect. And for the listeners, this was I've been trying to do it. I told you this it's gonna evolve. Podcast is now a lifestyle photography podcast. That's jokes, by the way. But it's a hundred percent unscripted. I didn't use many of the notes I used before in the past, and I've challenged myself and I stepped up once again. Had a great conversation with you, John. I do appreciate it. Once again, thank you for taking the time out of the day. This was a really great conversation. And to the listeners, thank you for actually listening all the way over here to the end. I do appreciate that as well. Go support John and his one Instagram page and give them some likes because we all like the likes, even if we say we don't. But other than that, that's all I got. And everybody have a great day. John, you have a great rest of your day. I have to go to work now. So uh, fresh off the plane. Well, thanks. Yeah, fresh off the plane from Tokyo. Come back, record a podcast, and go to work. Busy, busy. Wow. Yeah. Busy, busy. Well, thank you. It's been been great talking to you and uh, giving me the opportunity to share some of my thoughts on photography. Oh, yeah. And... um, Hope you have a great day. I will. Thank you. I do appreciate it. Micah Street Photography Collective, John Kreidler.